Welcome to TalkScript, a superset of a podcast about JavaScript. The presenting sponsor of TalkScript is SitePen, a JavaScript consultancy helping companies improve their apps, tools, and teams. Check it out at sitepen.com. Let's find out if TalkScript is your type of podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the episode of TalkScript on private fields. This is episode 32. I'm your host, Neil Roberts. I'm just happy to be here. I'm here with Nick Nisi. Hello. And our special guests, Rob Palmer and Daniel Ehrenberg. Hi there. Uh, so I, I'm Rob. I work for Bloomberg, and I'm the lead for the JavaScript infrastructure and tooling team. I'm Daniel Ehrenberg. I work at Egalia, free software consultancy, and I work on TC39, including on the private fields proposal. Yeah, so private fields is an exciting slash controversial topic in the JavaScript community right now. I'm thinking we could start with uh, an overview of what do we mean when we're talking about private fields? Really, this all comes down to encapsulation in terms of what we intend or how we intend for our code to be used. Whenever we have an API, an interface, you always have aspects of it that you want people to use, the public interface, and then everything that you don't want the uh, the users <laughs> to use, that's the private. And this gives us a lot of benefits in terms of the ability to evolve that software. For example, large JavaScript libraries and frameworks that you might be using, like Moment.js, have tried to express what's private through putting an underscore at the beginning of a property or a method. And what they found was once they shipped this library to many developers, developers decided to depend on those anyway, even though their documentation did not include them because they wanted to get access to some things that weren't exposed in the API. What this meant was when Moment tried to change things to use a different internal representation, they weren't able to because it would have broken too many people's code. The same thing affected Node.js, and it makes it hard to add features or fix bugs because you always have to think about how are people going to reach into the internals of my class or my, my program instead of just thinking about what do I have as my public API in my documentation. This is the thing that private fields try to solve by making something that's like underscore, except it actually enforces privacy. And the character is hash. Hash <laughs> is the new underscore for when you actually want things to stay private. I think that's an interesting way to look at it too. I hadn't thought much about how perhaps our clever workarounds in order to reach down into the internals might be holding back development of uh, frameworks and code bases from features that people want, but maybe they don't express because they are working around a solution. Yeah, and it's, um, sometimes this can be really important. If you want to update your library and you don't know for certain what people are depending on, it can be almost impossible to know if you're going to be releasing a breaking change. I mean, you, you could always bump the major version with every release if you really want to, but most of us don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. People will complain even more about all the major version releases. <laughs> exactly. And developers are very enterprising. If they, if they can get their job done, if they can fix a bug by reaching inside and, you know, seeing something nice, we find all the time this this ends up happening with a large enough code base and a large enough uh, number of users. I'm absolutely guilty of that. You mentioned Moment.js as being one library that people have reached into in the past to do that. Another example that I could think of is uh, earlier versions of React DOM had a property 
called react.underscore_secretdom. Do not use or you will be fired, uh, which I always thought was pretty funny. <laughs> Did you ever reach into that? No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't want to get fired. <laughs> tempted to. So you guys have been working on one of the uh, proposals for private fields. Can you tell us some of the history of that? Have you been working on it together? Have one of you been involved uh, longer? Uh, what's the story there? Well, this proposal significantly predates either of our presence in TC39. Okay. JavaScript has been developed since the, the mid-90s. And right way back to the development of the ES2 specification, the second version of the JavaScript standard, there was a proposal to add classes, including private fields, to JavaScript. This did not happen at that time. Uh, <laughs> so... ES2 was pretty minimal, adding some things to the library. ES3, there was even more discussion about adding component system to JavaScript, which might unify modules and private fields. And there's some very interesting design ideas, but that didn't make it into ES3. We, we did get through ES3 regular expressions and some very important core features of the language, mm -hmm. but not that one. ES4... Uh, was under development for 10 years and had a very elaborate class system and type system. And that included in its class system private fields. And I think many of us have heard the history that ES4 ended up being abandoned. It was too complicated. And well, everybody has their own story of the history for why exactly ES4 was abandoned. <laughs> Some that would be difficult to share on this radio show. Uh, <laughs> And following that that fallout, ES5 was deliberately minimal and deliberately included some things to clean up and standardize the language, adding things like object-defined property in strict mode. But as a design goal, it didn't add new features, whereas the previous three versions of JavaScript did attempt to add private fields. In ES6, in the discussion about the design of classes, private was always something that the committee wanted to include in classes. And in fact, classes were almost omitted from ES6 because they still didn't have a resolution on how private should work. Some people in the committee felt that classes should wait until there is an answer on private, but at the last minute, classes were included in the knowingly incomplete form which omitted private. There was a lot of detailed technical discussion in the ES6 design cycle, which the current private fields proposal builds off of. Initially, discussion was based around private symbols. So one feature of ES6 that did make it out into the final standard is called symbols. Symbols are like strings in the sense that objects have property keys, and these property keys are what you look up the value. You might think of an object as a mapping from strings to other JavaScript values, and you can also use symbols there. So for example, when you use a for of loop in JavaScript to loop over an array, what that actually does is first it looks up a symbol property of the object called symbol.iterator to figure out how to loop over that array. The hope initially was that symbols would also form the basis for privacy, that somehow there would be symbols in the object that you wouldn't be able to get at from outside of the class. Unfortunately, over time, there were issues that came up with the private symbols proposal. So the committee decided to base it off of these declarations, that you declare a private field in the class declaration, and then you use it within the class. So this private fields proposal was written up and driven through the committee process by Kevin Smith, who's one of our colleagues in TC39, currently working for Microsoft. And public fields, the thing where you can do in a class body, x equals one, and then every single instance of the class will have a property named x, whose value starts out as one. That public fields proposal was championed by Jeff Morrison. 
at some points in time, both of them took a break from the committee. And when I got involved by trying to continue to push through their work after they had left, most of the specification text was written by Kevin Smith. And the process has been sort of continuing to review alternatives and implementing the proposal in browsers as well as in transpilers like Babel and TypeScript, writing tests for it and writing documentation and generally publicizing the feature among JavaScript developers. Rob has been a supporter from the outside. Bloomberg has been very helpful in the private fields and methods proposal by sponsoring it. You don't have to be a browser to make these things happen. It's actually possible to pay for the work in both designing the specification, writing the tests, and implementing it in, in web browsers. So Egalia is a consultancy, and I work for Egalia, and Rob works for Bloomberg, and Bloomberg is one of our clients who's sponsoring the work of making this happen. Bloomberg has been involved for a, for a long time, partnering with Egalia and working on a number of, of JavaScript features. Um, this is just the, the, the latest. One of the things that, that we found uh, internally uh, was that uh, we have a lot of classes that are using non-native uh, classes. I mean, I think we've all created user land class systems mm -hmm. in the past. And one of the things that was clear there was that it didn't seem to be good for anyone. <laughs> uh, the developers didn't really like it. Uh, the, the performance was, was really not great. And, mm -hmm. and when it came to things like the tooling like, and, and TypeScript, it didn't really work. But then, just like a lot of these things, there's um, a really good talk by Cheng Lao that talks about levels of abstraction. And it talks about how uh, when problems become common enough, when, when we all find these, these same issues, it's always good to push these features down. And, and uh, you know, at the base of everything here is, is the language. Uh, and so uh, it, it became clear that the uh, the, the best way of solving the, these problems was to empower the language to give give us access to these these primitive features that it's clear mm -hmm. that lots of developers uh, want access to. So that that was really the the driving factor for us getting involved. Then that's led to um, more direct contributions to the Babel and, and TypeScript projects. That's a, a really interesting history of how kind of how we got to here with with this proposal. Uh, and we touched on a lot of different things that are really interesting. So like. Previously, if you, if you really wanted to make something truly private, you would do as as our ancestors did and just hide it in an iffy and then have it be available there. Uh, and you could do the same thing with symbols. Well, yeah, you can still ask an object to reveal its symbols. Oh, yes. Uh, uh, get own property uh, symbol names. Object.get own property symbols, I believe. <laughs> uh, and even if that function didn't exist, there are more obscure ways to get at the symbol <laughs> names involving exotic features like proxies, there was a lot of thought about using symbols for this purpose, but in the end, it just doesn't quite work. For ifies, for closures, you can have a lexically scoped variable that is private. This is actually a bulletproof way to produce privacy, to use a closure. But what you would have to do then is you have a function which returns an object and the methods would have to close over those variables. So each instance has its own new unique set of methods. This doesn't let you use class declarations. When you use a class declaration, the same method is used for each instance. But when you use this pattern of using closures, each instance would have its own set of methods. So in addition to being more ugly to write the code because you can't use a class declaration, it's also more inefficient in actual engines. It causes yep. more memory overhead and it's slower to call those methods than if you use things that are stored on the instance. 
what a JavaScript engine has to do is store this separately sort of context for the variables that are in the lexical scope and separately from that sort of the objects. Whereas when you use yep. fields, whether they're public or private fields, these can be stored just inside of the object. Okay. All the workarounds are, are pretty ugly in, in terms of trying to use closure variables. Yeah, there are even more workarounds, but most workarounds are both uglier and more inefficient mm -hmm. than you can get by using this, this proper feature. And because they're both ugly and inefficient, people <laughs> ended up using ordinary properties, which gets back yep. to this original thing of they're not actually private. Mm -hmm. It reminds me a lot of the encryption devices during World War II, where they were really hard to use. And as a result, people forgot to reset the keys and they just kept on using <laughs> the same keys. And I think we've seen this in software as well. When an API is not ergonomic, people choose not to use it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a lot of the value of this proposal is it's, it's not necessarily saying that we are allowing something that could never, ever be done before, but we're now providing really nice syntax, syntactic sugar for achieving that goal. Many people are not a big fan of the hash sign. It's a bit unusual among programming languages, but mm -hmm. it does slot right in there. It's really designed so that once you write a class, if you write it in the in the modern way where all of your fields are declared up front in the class declaration, and TypeScript programmers have been doing this for a long time already, mm -hmm. all you do is, if you want it to be private, you put a hash as the first character of the name, both in the definition and in the uses. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that fits within people's workflows. Totally. And it, it makes sense, uh, I mean, minus the hash symbol, but it makes sense from a TypeScript developer's perspective, for sure. But that does touch on one thing that I wanted to ask. And you mentioned in TypeScript, you were very comfortable with declaring all of the fields that will be available on the class ahead of time, on the class itself. Do you have to do that with these private fields, or can you just create a private field anywhere, like inside of a, the constructor or another method, or does it have to be defined first? That's a new thing about private fields, that it has to be defined first. Okay. What we're really trying to do with the private fields proposal is encourage people to program in a, in a modern JavaScript style. And this also helps engines to produce faster code. You may have heard people in the V8 team, for example, talking about monomorphic accesses or hidden classes or shapes of objects. It's best for the JavaScript engine if you always have the same set of fields on each instance of a class so that then when calling a method on it, it always has the same shape under the hood. Using fields, whether it's public or private, helps do this because when you have the field declaration, it always creates that on the instance. I'm always really uh, impressed and encouraged by the way that uh, some of the TypeScript practices of declaring your shape, de mm -hmm. declaring your, uh, your fields up front, not only does that help the human with the auto-completions and so on, but it also encourages a style that the engine likes to see as well for performance. Yep. Mm. Yeah, and in addition, there are some edge cases which are really difficult to nail down unless there are these declarations for private. Having the declaration there lets us say, okay, this private field is scoped to this class. If it were just randomly in a method, it would be hard to figure out that scoping. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine some complicated nested things that might throw things off. Right, one of these nested cases that's particularly funny, if you have a class declaration that's inside of a method that's inside of another class, that inner class declaration can access the private fields from the outer class declaration. That's cool. It's all uh, still respecting lexical sc uh, scope. It's all still mm -hmm. living within those braces that we put uh, yep. around the code. And you, you truly cannot access it if you're outside those braces. 
Yeah, that's something we're going to be talking about a lot as we go through the rest of the discussion here. There are three different proposals related to private fields. I'm a little bit embarrassed about the split. I know <laughs> it's, a, it's a little bit confusing. I'd rather think about them as a unified whole. So we have class fields, public and private for instances, private methods and accessors also for instances, and then static class features such as static private fields and static private methods. What these big terms are, it's really all about different cases that you would use the hash sign inside of the class. So mm. you could use the hash in front of a field declaration. You could use the hash in front of a method. So if you have a method that's only used inside of the class, there's no need to make that a, a public API. It could just be used inside of it. And also it could be static. You could have operations that are part of the class declaration but are only able to be used inside the class declaration that are really not related to a particular instance. Mm -hmm. We have these split into three proposals because in TC39, we like to work incrementally. We like to okay. try to figure out different pieces and not wait for everything to be 100% done to, to make progress. But at the same time, we've been thinking about how they interact the whole time. We've mm -hmm. had various proposals to merge and split the TC39 proposals for various different reasons related to our own deliberation. At this point, now that everything's at stage three, I think we can just think of them as a, as a unified whole. DC39's already decided that the design is done for these. After getting to stage three, we spent a long time reconsidering alternatives and reaffirming that this design is good. We should just think about private class elements, which can be any class element. Any class element supports being private. Hmm. No, that makes sense. I mean, I like being able to split things out into discrete parts in order to have that non-blocking progress, right? If there was a, a slight element of one of these, having it block the whole thing wouldn't be any fun. Yep. Uh, since it's stage three, uh, as you were saying, does that mean that some of the browsers have implemented some of these features? That's right. So stage three is when the specification is deemed to be complete and it's time to hand over to the implementers to see if they find anything new. Because some things you only discover when you implement that maybe something yeah. is slow. So at the moment, I think Chrome is in the lead, which is shipping both public and private fields in Chrome 74. There's also work going on, I think uh, Firefox has a release on Nightly, and there's also uh, an implementation going ahead inside Safari's JavaScript core as well. Um, but before we even get to the, the real engines, if you want to get ahead of the game, you can today use class fields as part of uh, the, the Babel transpiler. Okay. That's something actually that's been uh, implemented by a, a few of my colleagues uh, at Bloomberg, uh, uh, Robin Ricard and Tim McClure. As well as Justin Ridgewell at Google and with, with lots of great reviews from Nicolo Ribaudo. From, yeah. from Babel upstream? Yes, the whole Babel team and, and Henry as well uh, have been really awesome at uh, hel helping us through and, uh, and allowing progress on this. Finally, then we get to, to TypeScript. Um, I've been working with the, the TypeScript team. Uh, I guess you, you'll hear more about this uh, in, a, in a future episode. Yep. There is a, a public repo where we've been doing uh, the work. So my, my colleagues, um, Max Heiber, Michael Gunter, uh, Joey Watts, They've all been working to add this to what, what is at the moment a fork. And I think uh, probably the PR for sending this to TypeScript will be open today. Oh, wow. That's, that'll be great, yeah. <laughs> One thing I want to mention is that I've heard some fears from people giving feedback on this private fields and methods proposal 
that at some point the thought leaders will descend and give recommendations that people use private everywhere and that everything mm-hmm. be scoped to inside of the glass. And based on experience from other programming languages like Java, where these practices were strongly encouraged, I think we can see that this causes a lot of difficulty and unnecessary strife when programming, because mm-hmm. sometimes you do have a bunch of different pieces of code that are just working together and don't need to keep things private from each other. When asking for things to be private too much, this ends up requiring different holes to be cut and various different methods to be created to reach into those details. Methods that mm-hmm. don't actually preserve a strong API, because this is all internal to a single code base. I wouldn't recommend that people try to use private for every single thing. I think it makes sense to use thoughtfully and when you actually want a sense of encapsulation, when you really are exposing an API to someone that's supposed to be stable over time. Mm-hmm. So would you expect yeah. potentially that uh, library authors will and framework authors will be the ones to jump on this uh, first to help protect and, and deliver a clear API? And then maybe the users of those frameworks and, and developers on other projects will follow in, hopefully just as needed, but not going crazy with it? I hope so, but I also don't expect a big conversion of existing libraries and frameworks to start using private fields and methods when they previously had things public yeah. because that would break their users. It's more for new libraries or yeah. we've been talking with people who work on on Node.js. Maybe new components of Node.js might decide to use this and existing things will continue to use their existing approaches because the ecosystem has very heavily depended on the, these internal hooks. If you're a sole developer just working on a code base that's just for you, you can easily choose never to use this. Mm-hmm. That's perfectly reasonable. Yeah, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, early on in the days before Query Selector All was part of the browser, a lot of the internal implementations, uh, we wanted to be able to switch them out. People kept writing better, faster Query Selector All implementations. And that's something where I can imagine that being private is a huge bonus because the library author can swap it out with better one as it goes along. And knowing that no one is touching those internals uh, over time is is a huge win. Yeah, that's what gives you the real confidence. All right, do we want to move on to syntax then? Get into the good stuff. Uh, Why did we choose to use a hash character rather than an underscore or rather than, uh, you know, the private keyword? Well, the underscore would be nice, but as we're making changes to JavaScript, we have to think about how existing JavaScript code works. As we've seen and discussed from the experience of other libraries, people use the underscore a lot, and they take advantage of the fact that underscore isn't private. I think it would be nice if we could change that, but because it would break so much JavaScript code, it's just infeasible at this point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We refer to this as web compatibility. The slogan is, don't break the web. It's a guiding <laughs> principle of the JavaScript standard as well as other other web standards. I know that we, one of the other things like for us is that we, some of like our older Dojo code, we've used it to mean protected as well. And that would, you know, that really breaks that pattern as well. Yep. That sounds totally reasonable to me to use mm-hmm. underscore to mean protected. So why the hash character and not the private keyword? Well, the private keyword works great for TypeScript. How it works in TypeScript is when it's type checking and it sees an access to a property from a value, what TypeScript does is first check what's the type of the value. And then based on that type and the name of the property that's being accessed, TypeScript can check whether that property is public or private. And if it's private and if this access occurs outside the class, TypeScript can give an error. 
So in JavaScript, we don't have any types. We have dynamic types, but those types are not available when setting up the program. They're only available when running through it later. But this checking has to take place before. It's not possible for us to get the type, so we need something in the program that makes it obvious that we're trying to access private so that the check can be based on things that are present in the program. Because it's this syntax that's present both of the definition and the usage, it's possible for there to be a simple syntax check that tests, is this hash x defined in a class that encloses the usage of it? And then at runtime, it can check, does this object, the, the this value, have this property hash x and throw an error if it doesn't? Yeah. where the hash x is actually related to the particular class. If you have a different class that also has a hash x inside of it, that's that's considered different. Mm -hmm. And that even applies in the, the prototype chain. So if one class extends another and each of them uh, declare a hash x, those are two different private fields. This is a, a feature, not a bug. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the intention there very much is that, you know, for example, with the underscore properties, if you add a new underscore property at any time, you, you might think you're safe. But what if some code out there is uh, extending your class? You don't know whether you're going to clash with that usage or not. Um, whereas with the, the hash private, uh, you're 100% guaranteed never to clash with, uh, with subclasses. Can you access the parent class's private fields, like in a protected way? You're not able to do that either. The, what the parent class would have to do is to specifically expose its private fields or methods to the subclass, which it can do, for example, by having a function inside of the class, which it stores someplace that the subclass can access. If you have a, a callback or an error function inside of a class definition, that's considered to also be able to see the private fields and methods. It's not only the, the method declarations, but also anything nested inside the class. You can use those to share access to private fields with other pieces of code. Okay. And with the decorator's proposal, this is proposed to get easier over time. It's proposed that you could use a decorator to directly do that sharing without having to type in these accessor functions. It's a bunch of code in the air. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I wanted to ask about was using the hash symbol for this. Was the hash symbol not available? Can you not create a variable with a starting with a hash like you can starting with a dollar sign, for example? Is that how you know that it's a free namespace? Yes, yeah, luckily, no. So hash is one of our few remaining ASCII characters left or few remaining keyboard characters left that we can give behavior to. There were some previous proposals to use the at sign for this, but that was kind of taken by decorators. Oh, yeah. We mm -hmm. did consider swapping them, but people who use decorators right now were very happy with the at sign. So mm -hmm. we decided to leave it for them and to use the hash sign for, for private. There's some interesting history here where for keywords, JavaScript used to have a very extensive list of keywords. But at some point, Internet Explorer decided actually almost all of those keywords can be used for variables. Mm. And the other browsers followed, and now they're gone. They're, they're variables. <laughs> It would break the existing programs that use them to assign other meanings to them in contexts when they could be used for variables. Mm -hmm. We have pretty small syntactic space that we can work in in the JavaScript Standards Committee, TC39, when we're trying to add new syntax. I hope this one is worth it. I feel like it is. <laughs> the thing that really made me feel a lot more confident that this was a, a smart approach is when I was thinking about the idea of strong encapsulation, where I know a lot of how to mess with JavaScript. Uh, I've been messing with JavaScript for 15, 20 years. I've learned a, a bit of, of the little tricks, like you were talking about being able to expose the symbols and stuff like that. 
In terms of doing strong encapsulation, I knew that I know that a couple of things you can do to call methods as if they were part of the prototypal class structure is doing things like uh, overriding the value of this with call and apply, as well as uh, kind of monkey patching a prototype by applying a function to it later on uh, in its usage. Kind of going through this proposal and understanding why you made the decisions that you did, that really helped me understand it, right? This serves to prevent any workarounds that other people might try to do. Making it so that it's like a true private makes so much more sense to me now that I think like, oh yeah, obviously, because otherwise someone could just be like, I'm a private function (laughs) or if I'm a private method, right? And then they could access everything. Yeah, you you might think that uh, maybe if you grab hold of one of the methods, you know, you pull it off the prototype and then you invoke it with call or apply, you might be able to use it on a different object, perhaps, but that just that, that will not work. As, as soon as as soon as it tries to, to dereference the, the the private uh, fields, that will result in a nice error message to you. I was thinking if there was a private setter function, right? My thought was I'm going to create my own object and I'm going to pass that object to call for that setter function. And then it'll assign that private variable, right? That would be a way that some people could work around this if it wasn't uh, that this sort of true encapsulation that is enforced by having this new syntax, by having it part of the class system. Yeah, in a pattern like that, it wouldn't work because you have to add the private field during the constructor. You have to Mm -hmm. declare the private field, and then the constructor will give you an instance that has the private field. If you invoke a setter later, the setter is not allowed to add a private field to a class that doesn't already have it. Maybe that's something we haven't touched on either. Is right. This is a this is part of the the class pattern, right? This isn't something that's just kind of floating around the language. It it, it it's part of what gets assembled when you're writing a class definition. Yeah, and I think it makes sense to tie encapsulation to class definitions because when you're writing a class, you're really thinking about, I'm evolving code, I had these objects and functions, and now I want to set it up in this solid way where I'm thinking it through, making this big API, and having a clear definition of what the interface is. I think it logically makes sense to put them together. There are thoughts in TC39 about making this a more general mechanism that could apply in more cases, but we started with classes, and I think this logically makes sense. Mm. Yeah, I think like you're saying, there's a possibility that it might become part of the upcoming decorator's approach as well, and that that seems like an interesting trade-off to me. Yeah, there, there were a bunch of different cases that people brought for how to access private outside of the class. For example, you may want to have a test have access to the private fields and methods inside of the class. Mm -hmm. And so with these different various cases, I don't think they ever came to, well, everything should have access to private because that simply, well, doesn't sound like the right thing for you (laughs) uh, if you want everything to have access to it. But in the cases where something in particular needed access to the private field or method, this could be met by using a decorator to specifically grant that access to exactly the things you want to grant it to. Yeah, that sort of pattern is really interesting to me. I think that's a a nice approach. So a lot of these questions were asked so much, they got turned into a kind of a frequently asked questions document. Were any of you guys involved in that? Or or can you kind of speak more to what this document's about? That FEQ was mostly the work of Kevin Gibbons, who's a a colleague of mine in TC39. And uh, I was mostly just sort of 
reviewing it, like making little suggestions. And we had very extensive discussions on GitHub about the proposal and various alternatives. And I'm really happy with his work to document these answers so that when the question comes up again and again, we can point people to it, but also for many, many, many people don't feel comfortable asking the question directly and the threads are very long to work through. Having this sort of documentation makes it easier for for more people to understand what's going on. Following this, I've been working on adding FAQs to other proposals that I work on even preemptively, just making up the questions that I'm afraid people might ask. (laughs) (laughs) Has the private fields FAQ kind of been a living document then? Are Are you kind of finding new questions that people are asking? Yeah, it has been. TC39 proposals are all just repositories on GitHub, like any other open source project. And I love it when people make pull requests to fix typos or answer questions. And I really also enjoy getting feedback on the proposal and issues. You can find all the proposals at github.com slash tc39 slash proposals. And that shows a listing of different things that people are discussing. And I really appreciate this input through making PRs and keeping it a living document. I guess we should also um, mention the new website as well that uh, Yulia has been uh, uh, working on. So uh, TC39 has done a lot of work to try and increase transparency and allow people to to contribute, Mm -hmm. to open the process up. A whole initiative was created to to form a a new website, uh, which I I guess we'll, we'll link to in the show notes. Yeah, that sounds great. We hinted at it a little bit when we were talking about the roadmap. The two by three matrix. Oh, they, they don't form a two by three matrix. There's more like a two to the third power matrix of features <laughs> because there's public and private, static and instance, and method and field and accessor. So I guess it's two mm-hmm. by two by three. And we have that matrix entirely filled in. There were oh, wow. a lot of discussions in the committee about orthogonality, which is mm-hmm. a very fancy word that basically means in math, it means perpendicular. You know, you have a right angle. Imagine if you have two different things, two different aspects of something, then you could think of it as orthogonal if they're unrelated, if they can both be used in combination or neither one can be used or one or the other can be used. Mm. And they just work as independent things that you can compose if you want to. We were very careful to design this proposal as something that's orthogonal in the sense that you have regularity when you're programming classes. You don't have to think about, well, does it work if I make something which is an accessor and it's static and it's private? I don't have an extremely strong particular use case for that combination, but I think the important thing is that you don't have to think about sort of holes in this grid. Everything's just supported. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing that we focus on as, as programming language designers in TC39, making sure that all the edge cases are supported and all the, all the combinations are supported and that we get down to the details and at the details, everything feels right. Yeah, I could say for a lot of the people that are uh, leveraging criticism at this proposal, I feel like they might not have thought it through as much as you guys have. I just want to say I really appreciate the feedback. I think it's really important to have a beginner's perspective taken into account when we when we see these proposals. JavaScript is used by so many new programmers, and it's important that the language be learnable and be not something that you have to be an expert in programming language theory to learn. So I, I hope we've achieved that here. The FAQ really helps a lot with that. And before preparing for this, I was just kind of looking for ways to, to get access to, to private fields. And of course, I can't mm. find any. So, <laughs> and and you will not yeah. find any. <laughs> uh, but there's there's a lot of things that I wasn't thinking of until I really started like trying to break the system. And you are all ahead of me on that, so I, it's very much appreciated. Well, there is one way to break the system, which is 
I don't know if you saw this new paper about Spectre mm. by the V8 team, the people who work on the JavaScript engine in Chrome. It's actually possible from JavaScript to access other things that are going on within the same program, like within the same browser tab. Theory is the current best estimate is this is always going to be possible and there's no way to stop it, unfortunately. If you actually want really strong isolation, then the best thing to do is to put your code in a separate process, which you can do in a website <laughs> by putting it in a separate iframe that has a different origin. It's pretty obscure how to access it. There's no way to do so through normal JavaScript code, but there's some tricks, some very obscure tricks that you can use to break this, what you might think of as a security boundary and read the memory that's there in the class that has the private fields. This is way outside the bounds of normal programming, <laughs> and I don't know how to do so in a, in a reliable way. But but <laughs> this is de definitely into the territory of spooky programming. This is, yeah, this, I guess it's also worthwhile pointing out this, this isn't a JavaScript bug. This is, mm. this is all programs. This is uh, down to the way that chips work. Yes, and all the chips from the, for the past couple decades have this issue. Whenever computers are fast, they're going to have this issue, that things need to be split out into a separate process in order to have any sort of isolation. And when people say this, they always couch it with, if we assume that the process boundary is secure. <laughs> so I, I really hope it is. <laughs> All right, well, this was really fun to talk about and learn some of the uh, history of this proposal that went all the way back to ES2, which is uh, something that, that seems kind of unbelievable to me. Thanks for uh, all your work on, on this proposal, uh, all your involvement. Thanks for the fact that we can point people to. I really enjoyed having you guys on. Uh, it was really great to hear some answers to questions a lot of people have been asking. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a lot, yeah. lot of fun. Uh, hopefully we'll uh, talk to you guys at uh, a later point and see how things have been going. <laughs> yep, that'd be great. Okay, cool. bye for now. Bye. Thanks for listening to the TalkScript podcast. You can round out your TalkScript experience by viewing our show notes, listening to past episodes, subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, and of course, following us on Twitter at TalkScript. We record new episodes every other week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of TalkScript a superset of a podcast about JavaScript. We got a good thing going on. Ba, ba, ba.